0: Episode 42, helping attorneys get the best use from their technology at work. My conversation with Jim (music) Callaway. I'm Michael D. G. Eisenberg. I'm the tech savvy lawyer blogging at the lawyer.page and host of the Lawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. Our next guest is Jim Calloway. Jim is the director of the Oklahoma Bar Association Management Assistance Program and blogs at Law Practice Tips. Jim has previously served as co-chair of the ABA Tech Show. He frequently writes and speaks on legal technology issues, internet research, law office management and organization, and legal ethics. This episode of the TechSavvyLeary.Page podcast is brought to you by Experts Exchange, the original technology community. Enjoy. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, tell us what is your current tech setup? Uh,
1: right now, I am looking at a uh, Dell and Spiron with two external monitors, a uh, Razer Kyoto light, and uh, a really nice pair of headphones. I don't remember the brand right now to have to take them off, so that won't work. But, uh, but that's, that's, you looks- know. Wait, go let's go
0: back a step. What, what You said you had two monitors. I thought you said you had three off. off well, well, a moment ago.
1: yes, three uh, counting the laptop monitors. So I have two big oh, monitors on okay. either side of the laptop okay.
0: monitor. My bad, my bad. No, no that's I, okay. I, I've got a three monitor setup running off my MacBook Pro with an M1 chip. And I've got, I recently just got the uh, XDR monitor from <laughs> Apple. Oh, my God, it's gorgeous. And then I've got two 4K um, mm. LG monitors linking me. And who makes your monitors?
1: They're all Dell monitors, but uh, I have an IT department that supervises my buying. And so we have a few compromises (laughs) with uh, trying to have most of the same equipment throughout the building. I'm really wanting one of those giant 27 inch curve monitors myself, but apparently that's not our budget.
0: You know, it's funny, I was having a, I was doing a recording earlier and uh, the guest was talking about having one of those widescreen monitors, you know, that curves. Um, which they say is better than having three different monitors, because even though you have that minor little jump from one to the other, it's still a jump that leaves you behind in thought as you're trying to get into new thoughts. And that lag can still kind of cause a disruption Mm -hmm. in your thought process. So you said camera or not camera. I'm sorry. You said lights. What were the lights you're using?
1: Uh, I've got a uh, right when the pandemic started, I Mm -hmm. went out and bought a gaming uh monitor uh, gaming uh setup so you know good headphones Mm -hmm. uh padded for being on my head for many hours Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh then I got this little uh Kyoto uh camera that has a light ring built in it so it sits on the top of my monitor
0: excellent excellent and and who makes your headphone (laughs) you'll
1: force me to uh, you'll force me to take a look here it is uh the the the, uh Sennheiser communications headset, S-E-N-N-H-E-I-S-E-R. I don't pronounce it out loud much. <laughs> and uh, it is uh, basically, like I said, a gaming headset company. So I paid a little bit more for it, but uh, good sound, good padding. And again, when I first bought these in March of 2020, or, or actually, I think, yeah, yeah right, it's the first March of 2020, I had no idea how happy I'd be that I had padded, padded earphones after the first year of
0: that which I think you uh, have the same setup. I do have padded headphones. Uh, I have the uh, AirPro Max headphones, you know, the sound canceling and the... (laughs) the fancy dancing one. But my question to you is this, you have wired, I have Bluetooth. Why did you go with wired?
1: Uh, I just, uh, because I was going to use it in two or three different setups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just decided that it was probably uh, best to have wired. And then of course, when I shopped, we were already starting to see a few outages. So I didn't really have the chance, mm-hmm. uh, nothing wrong with the Bluetooth or with the wireless for sure. Uh, but again, I've, since I do about 90% of my work with the headphones, within two feet of my, my computer, this worked out just fine. I've also Excellent. got one of these giant uh, uh, anchor uh, USB ports that has 10 ports on it, so I can mm-hmm. plug plenty of stuff into it.
0: And what about your cell phone? What do you use for your smartphone? Oh, I'm an
1: iPhone guy. I've got an iPhone 11 right now, bro, but I tend to lag behind on cell phone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so explain the dec- economy of having an iPhone yet a Windows machine?
1: Uh, Some people are concerned about that. It's just never really bothered me. The iPhone uh, connects to the Windows machine in every Mm -hmm. way I need it to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just uh, basically really like the iPhone. But here we've kind of standardized, except for the creative team on uh, PCs. And actually, uh, it's really better for me because when I advise my members, I have very few Mac using members that I do tech support for. So it's nice to have the same machine that they do.
0: Really, that surprises me.
1: They, they would probably say it's because they don't need tech support,
0: though. <laughs> that may be true, too. Um, my question isn't so much a concern. It's more of just like, you know, you're in a Mac operating system on your phone, but you're not on a Mac operating system for Windows or vis-a-vis. That, that's sort of the dichotomy that I see. Not that it's been a problem, because I, I know that the, the iPhone works pretty well for both operating systems. Right. Now, in your personal life, Milo, I'd ask, do you have a Mac or a Windows?
1: Uh, I have a Windows PC at home. I've had a Mac in times past, but uh, mm-hmm. when, it, uh, when it was due to replace it, the cost of replacement kind of switched me over.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's get into the question. What are three areas of technology you see attorneys still not getting right?
1: Uh, I would say that the, the, the big one that concerns me right now is the amount of time we use email and the things that we email that shouldn't be emailed. Uh, mm-hmm. like confidential information that could damage the client's case. Uh, I recently did a a couple of years ago, I did a program at ABA Tech Show, recently did one for a state bar on portals. The practice management software that's cloud-based all has client portals that you can use to share information. And frankly, instead of, even if you encrypt the email attachments, instead of sending them a lot of attachments, they have to dig through their inbox, mm-hmm. the ability for clients to log in and see all the documents you shared with them at any time, uh, I think that's important, but you shouldn't be emailing things like qualified domestic relations orders where you have account numbers and balances and all that mm-hmm. type of thing, or other information that could damage the client.
0: So, whether it's an email or a portal, you know, I've recently read in the news about like how Facebook has its monitoring team for inappropriate content in some country in Africa, and there's another uh, it was of secure information where. That's being monitored like in another country, not in the United States. And you know, given how the internet works and all the different servers across the country, do you have any concern about people getting access to the emails of the portals because it's going through a service that may not be based in our country and may not have the same privacy laws?
1: Well, again, if you stick with the uh, lawyer specific market, the practice management software generated mm-hmm. portals. Really, the only place that data is going to be held is in Canada or in the U.S. And Canada mm-hmm. has stronger data privacy concerns than we do in, in many cases. Okay, But uh, I, I just, if you look, you know, doctors don't really email their patients anymore. They use secure portals as well, so right. they could be HIPAA compliant. And so mm-hmm. I tell lawyers, if you're searching for a portal that's not with your practice management solution, then HIPAA compliance is a good touchstone to look at.
0: So uh, time and use of emails, what is your other two tips? Uh,
1: I think the, you said technology not right. Clearly yes. at this point, not using multi-factor authentication or some other authentication services. Uh, you know, if you use two-factor authentication, even if you use the, 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 the most common level, which mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. necessarily the best of getting a text message to your phone, somebody could break into your provider. Steal all the usernames and passwords, but they still can't get into your account because they don't have your phone. And so, for financial accounts of any mm-hmm. kind, ones you have your credit card on file with, or ones that have client information, you should definitely be using two factor or multi factor authentication.
0: Yeah, it's pretty easy to set up with most. It is, it is, but
1: I, it, but still, it's one of those things that it's easy to put off because well, I don't have to do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. And then that goes on for years. And then the other one I think that's a big miss in terms of your marketing. Uh, is not having a, a way for people to schedule appointments with you online. Mm-hmm. There's several different flavors of that. You could have mm-hmm. a setup where you're, you're, website had a place that people could schedule online and then the staff came in and vetted it and made sure that it was appropriate clients there was no conflict and all that but even when you're talking to a client you say would you like to set up an appointment with me next week sometime here let me send you a link that you can pick what hour you want to next week it makes them feel like they've got more control but it's also just more efficient for you we waste we spend a lot of time scheduling as you know yeah
0: yeah and actually I, I use acuity scheduling for my firm and Calendly for uh, the blog. And it is just so nice that I don't have to worry about, well, they're going to schedule on a time that like I'm busy because they block, mm-hmm. they're supposed to block off times right. where either, you know, I have, I'm in a meeting or I'm away from the office or, you know, and also you can set the parameters of, you know, when people can contact you, you know, like it can only be right. from, from in the afternoons, one to five, or if you're doing potential client calls, uh, they're only done on Thursdays. Um, it really That really comes in handy and allows me to sort of uh, better micromanage my practice when I need. All right. So three answers. Perfect. Let's move on to number two. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Experts Exchange, the original technology community. If you're an IT, listen up. This might literally be the answer to all of your problems. I know I'm not the only one who's been stuck on a problem at work. We've all been there, and we all have to do the same thing when it happens. We Google or DuckDuckGo, and we end up finding a guy in a random forum who posted an answer to our question 10 years ago, and we just have to trust that he's right. If you trust the wrong person, you could be putting your organization and yourself at risk. What if there's a group of people who knew you could trust. That's Experts Exchange, or EE. EE is a community of thousands of tech professionals who have been helping each other solve problems for 25 years. Many of the members are highly accomplished with titles like Microsoft MVP and Oracle ACE, to name a few. But you don't have to be an expert to be on EE. You just have to be willing to help. No one can be an expert in everything. That's why you need to surround yourself with people you can trust. Right now, listeners to this podcast can join EE completely free for seven days. Just go to e-e.com to get started. That's e-e.com. And let them know the tech savvy lawyer sent you. And now back to the podcast. What are your three favorite Tech shortcuts. Okay, I'm going to stretch the definition for this
1: first one. It's not exactly a shortcut, but mm-hmm. it's the biggest time saver that just appeared on all of our desktops the last year or so. And that is the dictate button in Word, Excel, Outlook, and PowerPoint. Uh, I'm not a super fast typist, and I've used mm-hmm. Dragon Naturally Speaking for years. And I've mm-hmm. written a couple of books for the ABA on alternative billing, mm-hmm. all with speech recognition. But just to click on that button in Word, And to be able to dictate things into Word without even training it or anything is quite amazing. And uh, I I will tell you, if it's not working for you well, it might, Mm -hmm. or somebody, one of your listeners, well, it might be because they're trying to use the built-in microphone in the laptop. They really need to go ahead and get an external microphone to make that, or a headset to make that work appropriately. But yeah, when I'm tired at the end of the day, clicking on the dictate button, dictating things, then clean it up as opposed to typing it. It's a great shortcut in my world.
0: Now I have to ask, uh, did you take a typing class?
1: Did I take a typing class Yeah, in high school? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I took a typing class in Vianne High School in Vianne, Oklahoma. I probably wasn't a star student then and then kind of set it aside during college for paying uh, some ladies in the town to do my (laughs) firm papers for me.
0: (laughs) I, I tell you, typing was one of the best classes that I took because I've used it consistently throughout all of my professional career you know, right. law and elsewhere. And, you know, I can, in my heyday, I could like type 80 words a minute. Uh, now it's like between, you know, 50 to 60 words a minute, but I can, I think better typing it out versus talking it out or right. handwriting it out.
1: And, and I think that's great. I, you know, it's funny because I've, I've heard lawyers who type really fast, who were put into law firms where they use the dictation tapes and whatever, and they actually got out of the habit and now mm-hmm. they dictate, but I think whatever works good for you. And, right. Exactly. Frankly, oh, no, a, I wasn't criticizing yeah. you. or Oh, anyone I know you else. weren't.
0: Um, all right. Well, so get the dictate button. Number two. Uh,
1: quick action toolbar. That is a bar in Microsoft Word that is hidden above the ribbon. And in my view, it needs to be dragged down below the ribbon so you can see it. And then you can put all sorts of shortcuts, things you do all the time. Mm-hmm. The most common one is the little email icon. So if I have finished a document and want to send it to a client, I don't want to save it and close it and then open up an email and address it. And then go fish for the document and find it to attach it. Mm-hmm. You just click that button and then it opens up a blank email with the document already attached. Right. And that's just one of a dozen examples of things that you can put in the quick action toolbar, you know, the read a document aloud is another one I have in there and those other types of things. So.
0: Now, is that a software specific, for instance, can you only do that in Word or is that something that you can do in other programs as well? Is it is, it is it in Word.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's, it's only in the Microsoft suite, mm-hmm. but it is in Word and uh, I believe it's in Excel now. I haven't looked lately, but I believe it's in Excel now. Uh, yeah, it's up there in Excel. So, again, a lot of times you don't see it because you just see the little button at the top says auto save. Mm-hmm. And again, in my view, you really have to kind of drag it down below the ribbon. Have been before it is obvious enough that you'll use it.
0: Because I know, like the functions that you're talking about, like, you know, uh, send a PDF, send a a Word document. So when it pops up another email, and and, yeah, those shortcuts are super useful and it saves, you know, just a small piece of time, but it adds up. It's like throwing pennies in a jar because soon you'll have a hundred bucks. Right.
1: And then the other one's a little bit more esoteric, it takes a little bit more time to set it up, Mm -hmm. but I still see a lot of, of law firms that only have the one standard template in Word, and that's all they ever use to start their documents. And they haven't even set up, for example, a template for the soft stationery. if you want, you know, if they're, right. I mean, if they're printing everything on letterhead, but few do that anymore, but uh, there could be different pleading templates and other things. And then if you really get into templates, you can build all sorts of stuff. You'd exhaust my knowledge at that point of all the things that you can build. But I really like this idea of kind of having a memo form, kind of having mm-hmm, a pleading mm-hmm. form, kind of mm-hmm. having you know, a uh, stationary. So when you start it, you're not, you know, having to do minor changes and plus you still get a standardized work product.
0: So do you see attorneys, you know, what what I, what I typically do is I I will just find a document that is similar to the issue that I'm dealing with and will have basically the same, you know, same rules involved uh, and the same, you know, same court, same formatting, et cetera. And then just hit save as, mm-hmm. do, you, do you see attorneys doing that a lot? I, I, I
1: do see that. I would say you, you've kind of hit one of my uh, pet topics here. Okay. Uh, instead of using the last time you did a building lease or something, it's better if you can have kind of the uh, the uh, gold star, the 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 blue ribbon document that has everything in it. You make that document read-only so you don't accidentally override right. it, and right. then you start with that. Otherwise, you say, oh, I haven't done a building lease in a while. What's the last time we did it? The secretary finds one you did six months ago. You may forget that in that one, it was a desperate situation, and you negotiated things in that lease mm-hmm. that you didn't intend to have in every lease. But if okay. but by using prior work instead of a standardized gold standard to start from, you, you you run the risk of incorporating things that were for a specialized case.
0: Fair enough. So question number three, technology can be a great enhancement to a lawyer's practice of law, but it cannot correct human error in its implementation. What are three ways attorneys can best prevent, correct, or respond when mistakes are made by lawyers in their use of tech?
1: Well, I think one of the old school beliefs is still the best. If you make a mistake, then really the first thing you need to do, even though it's not what lawyers want to do, is to notify your professional liability carrier. It's not just, they won't necessarily open a claim for you with just that notice. Maybe they will, but it won't really go against you. But they may have tips about how to handle the situation in a way Mm -hmm. that you and kind of your panic might not come up with. So if you're paying for professional liability insurance and you get into a liability issue, talk to them. A lot of times, if it's something simple, they won't even open a file that is kind of explained for you how to do. The other one is even more old school. The second one, which is fix it for free. (laughs) That's what you should do if you make a mistake. That's the best way to respond. If later, you know, the client complains or something, it's really, you know, nobody's perfect. Your staff can't be perfect. You won't be perfect every day. And so having this policy that even if we've dug a hole, we're going to dig ourselves out at our expense and put the client back where they should have been is the best thing for client relations. It's also the best thing if you later have some complaint or investigation with the disciplinary authorities about it.
0: Well, hold on. So I, I, I completely agree with you on everything that you just said, but the topic, or I'm going to focus the your answer now. Okay. We talked about with the client. What about the court?
1: The court? Mm-hmm. What do you mean?
0: In other words, you you did some tech snafu and you're in trouble with the court.
1: Well, I, I think then, uh, you know, you, you have to be careful approaching those because you really want to to talk to the judge personally. And yet, if you still have a matter pending, that might be determined to be an ex parte conversation. Right. So I I think normally in that situation, it's best to communicate with the court in writing and copy opposing counsel. Mm -hmm. So you didn't get in any other situation, but I totally think it's appropriate, especially if you do something like miss a hearing, the judge isn't familiar with it, just to send a thing saying, you know, your honor, I I missed this hearing. I want to explain why. And we've taken these, uh, steps, so it won't happen in the future. And of course, that's the kind of the third point is: is you have to do an after-action analysis to mm-hmm. determine how the mistake was made mm-hmm. and what needs to be adjusted. Sometimes it's just a typo. There's not much you can do. Proofreaders, you're only a after-action term. But many times you'll find that we're doing things in a way. And I'd also like to add, always be candid, and honest with your clients. Mm -hmm. They appreciate people make mistakes. Sometimes they may be agitated at first, but you never want to add a misrepresentation or anything to an already bad situation, whether it's a technology fell up or I lost your paperwork on the way to the courthouse fell up. All
0: right. Now I know for sure that was two. So number three, Uh,
1: number three, I think again, that, uh, developing systems, templates and checklists is really the thing to help you avoid this happening in the first place. So there's a book I really like, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a New York times bestseller called the checklist manifesto. It was written by a surgeon named Atul Gwande, G-A-W-N-D-E. And really what I took from that book that was written about surgery, but talks about pilots and lawyers and all sorts Mm -hmm. of others is that smart people can do their work faster and error-free if they're following a checklist. Right, And if you're just remembering, what's the six things I need to do after I file a new bankruptcy case right. or whatever it might be, you're putting yourself at risk. So I think for many law office practices, a checklist div- driven practice uh, or procedures is really the best way to prevent those mistakes from occurring in the future.
0: What is your favorite checklist program? Do you have any programs that maybe will, if you put in a, um, a trigger that these other things will pop up? Uh,
1: I don't say I have a favorite in that regard. I think most lawyers are going to be better served to go ahead and look first at the Office 365 bundled items that they're probably Mm -hmm. already paying for Mm -hmm. if they log into Office 365. But, you know, we've got a pretty tight team and only two of us. So I have to say we haven't automated a lot of our checklists just because we've been working together a long time.
0: Right, right. I have it
1: pretty much down.
0: Well, cause my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the cloud client relations man- management programs have, especially for lawyers have like, you know, checklists or pipelines uh, systems that you can create so that if you get a pleading on this particular day, you have so many days to respond, you know, you may need to contact someone else kind of thing to get the pleading. And this is what needs to be filed kind of dates that automatically populate out into your calendar. Um, I think Clio has one. Um, I believe some, other, some others do. I, the program I use is daylight, which is a Mac based program that I can create my own pipeline. So if I want to add in some additional thoughts versus what's already baked in and some extra, you know, guardrails, if you will, I can do that. Um,
1: I think that's super. And we've been kind of looking at any, but I can't tell you I've used enough. Where I'd really sit down and say that's my favorite at this point.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Jim, Excellent. I really do appreciate your time and you sharing today uh, your thoughts on all these topics. Where can people find you?
1: Uh, the best place to find me on, on the web is to type my name into Google, and hopefully your first search result will be Jim Calloway's Law Practice Tips, my blog. Uh, I also have a Twitter account, at Jim Calloway, uh, that I pr- pretty much limit to uh, legal management and law office technology, If the Oklahoma Sooners have a really good season, you might get a little sports in there every now and then. But uh, so that's the best way to find me. And of course, I've been for the Oklahoma Bar Association working in this role, coaching our lawyers in technology for over 24 years now. So that's that's my employer is the Oklahoma Bar Association.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, again, I appreciate your time. Thank you and have a great day.
1: Thank you. You too. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Experts Exchange, the original technology community. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the Page. Have a great day and happy luring.